This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshish Tezria, Parakid Bay's Pasukov, Los Yemei Tarel, living in the last. We talk about in the beginning of the Parsha when a woman gives birth, what ends up happening. Well, after those days are up, the days of Tahara for the son or the daughter, Tavi Keves Benishna Solola, she brings a lamb, a year old, as an Ola, Uben Yona Tur and either a Ben Yona or a Tur. I don't know how to translate this. A Ben Yona might be a pigeon or a turtle dove, a Tur is the other thing. Lechatos. He brings that as a Chatos. El Pesach Olmoed al Kohen. He brings it to the Pesach Olmoed, the, the opening of the Olmoed, to the Kohen itself. That's what it says. He brings a Keves and a Ben Yona, etc. I'm skipping Pesach Zayim, but Pesach Ches. The Imlo Simsiyah de Desev. She can't find, she can't afford a, a sheep. She brings two turim, two those turtle doves, two pigeons. One for an ola, one for a chatos. And then she gets a kapara, and she's tahor. So what in the world is going on here? A woman just gives birth. She goes through all the, the pains of childbirth and everything that goes through. And her thought process is, now that I just gave birth to a baby, I have to bring a chatos, a sin offering? For what? What did I do wrong? An Ola is brought for illicit thoughts, for bad thoughts that a person might have, or being over on a mitzvah saseh, on a positive commandment. What in the world did this person do wrong? How in the world is this something that we look at and we're saying, oh, of course, she's chayiv and achatah, she's chayiv and Ola. What did she do? She gave birth to a child. That should be something we should celebrate, not sit there and knock her down and say, yeah, but you got to bring a korban for it, or two korbanos for it. Even if it's just two birds, if she's poor and she can't afford a keves, nonetheless, that's still a lot for doing something there. And in fact, the Ibn Ezra says in Pasuk Ches that if the Kohen isn't machaper for if the Kohen doesn't bring this, these korbanos, she never becomes tahor. She's tameh for the rest of her life after giving birth to a baby. It's so serious that if she doesn't bring these korbanos, she doesn't, remake, she doesn't become tahor ever again. Something's wrong here. Something has to be wrong because there's no way that can be taken <coughs> at face value. So the das the kanim, the balitosa say, this word kapara does not mean atone, it means cleanse. There's no real sin for her to atone for. There's no atonement that's needed over here. Hashem is cleansing her. So even though it's called a chatas and an ola, these korbonos are really a cleansing idea to make her into a brand new person, as if she's now totally new, to make her feel good. Listen, you went through all these things over here. You went through childbirth, which is really hard. So now, here, this is what you have to do. And he brings ideas, examples of this idea, where one after the other he shows that chatas does not have to be for a sin offering. If you bring one, there could be something else involved as well, a cleansing process instead of just... Just a sin itself. This Sforno says, up until now, her thoughts have been about making herself taller. She'd had dam, blood that had come from the childbirth itself, that had been in her system for so long. It's been difficult for her to think about anything else. She's been thinking about that part of her body and those things that need a refuah shlema, and she's been trying to get herself better and better and better and heal her until she can get all better. It's been a while. Her mind can finally concentrate on things that are kadosh. Up until now, it's been like, well, whatever I can do, I can do. I can't do other things. Now she can concentrate on kedusha and do things that are awesome. Says the Sforno, that's the idea. She can have proper Korbanos and do things that are proper to make it work. It's really an amazing thing. The Ramban says that a woman who gives birth has such a weak constituency and a body that's just missing something, very, very, very off, we'll call it. 
that this is what she needs a kapara for. She needs a kapara to strengthen herself, to eventually become Torah again, to make herself into a stronger person, to make herself perfectly healed. And this korban, therefore, is something that's all about the healing. It's all about the refuah shleim that she's supposed to get. All of that was like another way of looking at it. She didn't do anything wrong. She's just bringing a chatz and ole to renew herself, to make herself better, to make herself, a, give her a refuah shleima. All those are there. But then comes the other Rishon. The Ibn Ezra says she does need a kapara. What does she need a kapara for? When a person is in extreme pain, they might think or say things that they don't really mean. They might say things like you might do in a fight against somebody else. You might say something that you never really meant to say. And you might even think things that you don't even really mean to think. You don't want to think this way. You don't have to say these things. But anybody who's married knows that at a certain point you might say something or think something that you didn't really mean or think. It's because everything's going on around you. You've got so many things going on, right? There's so many things happening. You might have said it improperly without even thinking. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I never meant to say that in the first place. Says Ibn Ezra. This woman thought terrible thoughts. This woman said terrible things. We don't know what they are, and it doesn't really matter, says Ibn Ezra. It doesn't matter what they were. There's nothing specific. She just wasn't thinking properly. She wasn't saying things properly. She's got to bring a chatzas and ola. Chatzas for the thought process, the ola for the actual speech that was there. That's what she's got to do. The Ramban says it's actually Gemara Nida, Lamed Aleph of where the Gemara says that a woman who wants to give birth will often say, I never want to be with my husband ever again. I swear, she says, that I don't want to be together with my husband ever again. And that Shavuah, even though it's not really upheld, obviously she has responsibilities to her husband, but nonetheless the fact that she said it or even thought it is needs a kapara. She needs to do something. So a chatas, and this is almost like chesed and rachamim from above, that Hashem annuls the shvuah. It's like she never said it in the first place. But there's a chatas because she said something out. There's an ola because of the thought process involved. So it's explaining the Ibn Ezra through that gemara and need a laman base of what could happen. And therefore it's there. I personally, my wife is at Sadekes. I never heard anything like this from her. It's also because I'm an awesome husband. But I never heard anything like this from her when she was giving birth. And Baruch Hashem, it's been a couple times. A couple, you know, a little bit more than a couple. Right? And nonetheless, it's there. But I can imagine that the amount of pain that a woman goes through during this could cause her to have that. And says to Ramban, so get rid of it completely. Just get rid of it. There's no reason for there to be even a vestige of something wrong. Get rid of it by her saying... I, I guess these types of korbanos, that gets rid of it completely. The Torah more points out, this is for sure not a real shvua. When you say something out of extreme pain, it doesn't even count in the first place. You don't even need to be mater nidarim. You don't need ataris nidarim in such a case. She didn't mean it. She never meant it. And if you would ask her afterwards, she said, I don't even remember saying it. Says the Torah more, you don't have to worry about such and like that. But kapar is still necessary. Why not? Why not do a kapara? Because you never know. When somebody goes through that amount of pain, why not do a kapara? Dorash Moshe says even more so, this is a time, childbirth, where you should be more careful about things. We know, chas v'shalom, there are three things that, are, that could cause a person to die during childbirth. If they're not careful, careful about hilchos nida, hilchos chala, hafrashas chala, or adlaka sanir on Shabbos, if they're not careful about those three things, women can die during childbirth. It could be that it kills them, that they actually die during childbirth. To get around that, and I don't mean to say that to get around it, but to make sure that those things were taken care of. And not only that, but for her to be even more careful, she should be so, she should go into childbirth almost with a year of fear of a Kaddish Baruch Hu saying like, Oy vea, Kaddish Baruch Hu, I hope I did everything right. But instead, she swore not to be together with her husband. How could she have done that, says Ramosha Feinstein? How? This is a time when she should have been more careful, and she's not. 
For that, she needs a kapara. Not for what she said. For the fact that she wasn't doing tshuva. And again, it's a hard thing to say to anybody who's given birth, to anybody who's going through type, that, type of, that type of pain. But the idea behind it is just that. That Sifas Yehuda wonders about the specifics of that kapara. This is a question that was asked by the Talmudim, the Roshim Bar Yochai. Roshim Bar Yochai was asked this by his own Talmudim. Why in the world does this woman need a kapara? What did she do wrong? And Roshim Bar Yochai said, Chatos for what she said and an Ola for what she thought, etc. and stuff like that. But he says the words, Bishashikoras Lelid. At the time when she bends down to give birth, which is weird. That's not while she's giving birth. It's when she's starting to give birth, when she's still in the contraction stage and her body is getting used to getting ready to have a baby, that's when she swears. Where the pain is right there, that's when she swears. Now we're actually there. Says that Teres Yudin, at Sifas Yudin, it's an amazing idea. This Rav Shimba Yochai Lishitaso. Rav Shimba Yochai holds Ein Isser Chalal Isser. Ein Isser Chalal Isser means that if I'm in the middle of one thing that's Usser, I can't add on another Isser to what I already have. If a woman is an eight, let's just say, let's say a woman is an um, achosisha, she's the sister of my wife, and then she marries, she marries another man. So there's an ashesisha as well. Anis or chalal iser. Achosisha is the actual iser, and ashesish is adding on, but it doesn't really add on. There's only achosisha here. There's not ashesish. Do you get what I'm saying? Ain iser chalal iser. You can't have that. So to over here, Shemayachai says. If she's already usher because she's a nida, and during childbirth a woman turns into a nida, she can't usher herself to her husband. She can't say, my husband should be forbidden to me forever. She can't make a neder to say, I'm never going to be with my husband ever again. The neder will never work because she's already usher to her husband right now. So the neder won't work. When will the neder work? Only when she's koras leilid, where she's not yet in that stage. She's not yet anita, where she's still almost about to give birth, in pain, but not yet giving birth. Then, where there's no isser yet, she could say, my husband is usher to me. That's why we say it's specifically Roshim Bayochai and it's specifically Bishasha Karas Lele. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to it. The Rabbeinu Bacha- you know what? I'll get to it right now. The Rabbeinu Bachaya. The Rabbeinu Bachaya says, Puravu, you mean? She doesn't have a mitzvah. But the guy does. The guy does. That makes it a little bit different. So there is a little bit of difference when the woman doesn't have the chiv to do it. Right, so therefore, because she doesn't have a chiv to put herself in danger, this is danger of life and death. She doesn't have the chiv to do so, and therefore, it's a little bit different—not entirely, but a little bit different. The Rabbeinu Bachaya cannot believe there was any real hate here that would require her to have a kapara. Just think about that. What did she do wrong? What in the world says the Rabbeinu Bachaya? It can't be. And the fact that she might have said something—what if she didn't? What if she gets up and she says, "I didn't say it." She still has to bring a chatzos and an ola. Torah says you got to bring a chatzos and ola, but why? She didn't say anything. So what in the world are we making her do? She gets up and she says, I don't, rem- I, I don't remember saying anything like that. I know I didn't say something like that. Let's say we have a video that says, shows she didn't say anything like it, but still she has to bring it. Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, it has nothing to do with her. It has to do with Chava. Her foremother Chava was the reason why she's bringing this Korbanos. And listen to what he says. Had she not sinned, then mankind would have given birth to children without Taiva. Now think about this for a second. Do trees give birth without any issues whatsoever? Of course. They have seeds that come out out of nowhere. They grow on trees. There's no taiva involved at all, no desire by trees. But the seeds are born, 
and they're flying all throughout the world. There are different ways that trees spread their fruits, spread their seeds throughout the entire world. And there's no worries whatsoever. There's no taiva, there's no bad things regarding that. Says the Rabbin Abachaya, that's the way we would have been if not for Chavasin. If Chava wouldn't have eaten from the tree and then convinced other Mauritian to eat from the tree, it would have been, we would have been like trees. No taiva involved. There would have been seeds automatically that were planted in the ground. And everything would have been awesome. You wouldn't have had any problems at all. It would have been a natural occurrence, which could have happened in any which way, and there would have been no problems. The awesomeness behind this, she sinned. She did something that was wrong. And therefore, because of that, there was almost like a rot that went into the world because of it. She requires a kapara, not the woman who's giving birth. Chava requires a kapara for every woman that goes through the pain of childbirth. Any woman that goes through, Chava needs a kapara because it's because of her. Be'etzev til divanim, in sadness you'll give birth to children, was a curse given because of what Chava did. It was given to her and all of her children, meaning any woman that comes from Chava is going to be part of this, so to speak, original sin. And therefore, because she looked at the tree and she wanted to eat from it, there's the Ola, the thought process of wanting to eat from the tree. Because she took from the tree, Vatikach Ha'isha, Mea ate. She took from the tree, she did a Maisa, she gets a Korban Chatas. We're not bringing the Chatas and Ola for the woman giving birth, we're bringing the Chatas and Ola for Chava originally. Isn't that crazy? We're doing it for Chava, and every time it's for Chava, every single time, over and over and over again, it's for Chava itself. The Rabbin of Achai even tries to explain Rashi this way, which is whatever, but that's that, yeah. Yeah. Every woman is bringing it for the foremother Chava, for their grandparents. Think of it as, you're sitting there like, I know why this happened to me. I know I went through, and my kapara is, I went through it, and Chava, this is for you. You're my foremother. I know it didn't mean to happen this way. You didn't want it to happen this way, but I'm doing this for you. And therefore, the woman is giving it willingly, not because of herself, because Chava needs it. That's the idea behind it. The Tiferes Donison explains, based on this Rabbeinu Bechaya, the reason for the Korban Ola is because Chava thought she could be equal to Hashem. Just like Hashem is a God and creates, I can be a God and create, said Chava. I can be privy to the secrets of the world. And the Chatas, because she was together with the Nachash. We all know that there was an illicit relationship. It probably was not physical. We're dealing with this spiritual illicit relationship between her and the snake where the Gemara says that Nachash was Baal Chava. And therefore, because of that, she brings a Chatas for that sin as well. And specifically a bird, a bird that we'll talk about soon, has no idea of losing its mate, doesn't want to lose its mate. Specifically, that bird is given over, says the Rabbin, says the Rabbin Osanayipshitz, based on that idea. There's a Kliyakr here, it's a pretty obvious one, we're going to skip it for right now. The Balaturim says that the two birds, Tur and Benyona, whenever they appear throughout the entire Torah, whenever you have a Tur and a Benyona, it's always the Tur mentioned first. Tur u Benyona. Tur u Benyona. Now, if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense, right? The Tur is an adult. The Benyona is a child. The Tur is the turtle dove. I don't know. Again, I don't know how to translate them. The Benyona is the son of the pigeon, the younger pigeon. So you get the older one before the child. Throughout the whole Torah, it's like that. Except here in Pasuk Vav. And if you look, Pasuk Vav, it says, Ben Yonah, Otor. And in Pasuk Ches, it goes back, Shtei Torim, O Shnei Ben Tor before the Ben Yonah again. Why in Pasuk Vav is it the opposite way as it is the entire Torah? And the Balaturim says something absolutely unbelievable. He says that, okay, when you have a lamb for an Ola, 
you always want to bring that first. Obviously, you're going to bring the lamb. But you only bring one bird with it. The tour is a worse bird to bring than the Benyona. Why? Because a tour sticks with its mate for life. A tour will stay with its one mate for life. And if one of the mates dies, meaning if the male dies, the female will never remarry ever again. If the female dies, the male will never remarry ever again. It's a loyal bird that only has that one zug. So if you can only kill one, so what should you do? Take the benyona instead of the tour. You get it? Because you take the benyona, they're not as loyal. So you take one benyona, it's not that big of a deal. The tour, however, if you take the tour, you're killing the mate for the rest of its life. You're not just killing one, it's like you're killing two. But at the end, in Pasachas, how many birds are you bringing in Pasachas? Two. Two turim or two benyona. If you're going to bring two, turim come first. Turim come first. And the reason why is simple, because again, you're killing the bird and its mate. You're taking both of them together, yeah. No, 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 meaning it would have to be, you're right, you're 100% right, it would be two, which you know are the mates of one another. And I guess those who raised Turim would make sure that they, would, they themselves wouldn't want that to happen because then they wouldn't be able to have more birds. They would make sure to give you mates together with one another, and that's why Turim come before the Minayona. I think that's the way it would go. That's an unbelievable Bala Turim. Impossic, so the idea behind it is also increases Chavches. It mentions this stira. Tur Benyona. Benyona o Tur. It mentions, like, why do we mention this one before the other? And increases, it says in Chavches and Manalus, to tell you that they're equal to one another. You could do either one. They're just as Chashev. That's not a stira to the Balaturim. They're just as Chashev as one another. When there are two of them... Right? When there are two of them, then Enechanami, the Turim, can come before the Benayona. If there's one of them, though, the Benayona should go first because of the specialty that the tour has over here. It's interesting. Rechaim Knievsky says that the Tamid Akra, in Tamid Akra, he says a tour is more expensive than a Benayona. And that should be obvious. The tour is an adult bird. The Benayona is a tiny little bird. So the tour is more expensive. So we specifically say when you're rich, right, you can bring either one. So the order is specifically Ben Yona Otur. A rich man can still be Yotze even if he brings a smaller bird. When you're poor, you can even bring the wealthier bird, the bird that's worth more, the two Turim. That's the idea that Rechaim Kinevsky says. We're dealing with, when we're dealing with the rich guy, we mentioned Ben Yona first. When we're dealing with the poor guy, we mentioned the Turim first. That's another issue. Ayelas Ashakra proves from over here. He says, this is interesting. Doesn't that prove that Sar Balei Chaim is the Oraisa? Do you know what Sar Balei Chaim is? You're not allowed to hurt an animal. There's a big Shiloh in the Gemara in Bab Metzia. Is Sar Balei Chaim do Raisa or do I don't mean like, we're not on like PETA level where they're equal to human beings. I mean, are you allowed to give pain to an animal for no reason other than paining the animal? Right? If you have to give pain to the animal, to shecht it, you can shecht an animal. Everybody agrees with that. But are you allowed, are you allowed to give pain to an animal for no reason whatsoever? So we know the answer is no. It's usr. You cannot give pain to an animal stam. You can't do that. Okay, but is it Dil Raisa? Is it a din from the Torah that you can't do that? Or is it a din Durabanan? Is it only a din from the rabbis themselves? Which one is it? From here, says Rabbin Abachaya, uh, I'm sorry, the Ayelas Shaka, Revaila Steinman, it should prove from here that it's Dil Raisa. Because we're telling you to take a Ben Yona before the tour. Why take a Ben Yona before the tour? So that the tour doesn't lose its mate. That's Sarbalechayim. 
And we're fine with that. It seems to be a proof from the Torah that Tzar Balacham is Deoraisa. Now, it's not a great proof. The Gemara and Bamatia obviously doesn't bring it for this reason. But it is an interesting idea that brings down over here. And it is interesting. He goes the other way around. He says there's some good character traits to learn from over here. The good character traits from these birds that we're learning from are that they are loyal. Maybe the Ben Yonah isn't as loyal, but it seems to be loyal, as, at least. Yeah, as, Specifically, the Gemara says over there that you can't say, are we more Rachmanim than HaKadosh Baruch And plus, it does seem a little cruel. If you think about it, tell somebody that you got to send away the mother bird so you can take its kids. It, that does sound somewhat cruel to some, most people who listen to it, unless you need the eggs, unless you need the birds. But Shiloh HaKain is even if you don't need the eggs, if you don't need the birds, you can, you can go ahead and send away the mother bird. So it sounds like it's somewhat cruel. So I wouldn't use that as an example of Tsar Bail Chaim Del Raisa, although the Gemara does bring that up in Bamatsi over there, I think it's Chav Beis, where it does bring it up. It's just not a great example because there are interesting ways of looking at it, the Rachmanus of Akarish Baruch when it comes to that. You can in the end, oh, I hear what you're saying, because you can in the end take the tour. Oh, that's a great call. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's a great call. Tzar Belechaim is not necessarily Joe Raisa, because in the end, you could take the other bird. You could take the tour. Let me think about that. That's really good. That's actually a really, really good point. Oser Polos, the Torah says, listen to this Gemara. We just said, which one? The tour stays with its mates. The Ben Yonah doesn't necessarily stay with its mate. So take the Ben Yonah over the tour, Right. In the Gemara and Erevin, it says, if we didn't have the Torah, we would learn all good character traits from different animals. So, for example, we'd learn to be, you know, a hard worker from an ant. We'd learn that. We'd learn other things. We'd learn Tznias from a cat, how to be Tznua from a cat itself. It says, we would learn loyalty to our mates and Arias, to stay away from evil, illicit relations, from the Yona. From the Yona, not from the tour. From the Yonah, we stay together, says Rashi, because the Yonah never marries another bird if it loses its mate. <laughs> Doesn't say the tour. Says the Yonah always stays with the same bird. Okay, that's an amazing thing. The Zohar and the Rokeach say, that's the reason why that bird is chosen to go onto the Mizbeach. Why is the Ben Yonah on the Mizbeach? Because it's loyal to its mate. It has a great character trait. It's loyal to its mate. Therefore, you put it on top over there. So it sounds like it's at least the Ben Yonah, maybe the Tur, but the Balaturim just told us, Turim stay with their mates, not the Ben Yonah. That's why you take the Ben Yonah first. So what do you do over here? So I don't have a great answer over here. There is a Psikta Zutrasi that seems to say the opposite, that the Ben Yonah, not the tour. But I think it's kind of obvious, isn't it? We're dealing with Yonah and a Ben Yonah. Doesn't it make somewhat sense that the Yonah is the one that might stay with its mate? But you don't bring a Yonah on the Mizbeach. What bird do you bring on the Mizbeach? A Ben Yonah. A Ben Yonah is so young, it doesn't yet have a mate. You get the idea behind it? The tour has a mate. The Benyona doesn't. So if I have a choice between a tour and a Benyona, choose the Benyona because the tour has a mate and the Benyona doesn't. If it was a Yona in a tour, it wouldn't matter. The Yona and the tour are the same. But a Benyona in a tour, choose a Benyona t- over the tour because the Benyona doesn't have a mate, but the tour does. I think that's an obvious answer as to how it works over here. There's Ramban in the beginning of Parsha Vayikra that says something specific over there. And the Meshachachma says clearly over here that this woman who swears she doesn't want to be with her husband, she makes that shul and says, I don't want to be with my husband ever again. And she says something like that. 
that Meshachachma says, that's the reason why she brings these birds. Because these birds show you cannot do anything. Even if something happens, you can't give up on your mate. Even if the mate dies. If the husband or the wife passes away, you should never get married ever again. Says the Meshachachma, we learn from these birds to be as loyal as possible, up until a point, obviously. But there's as loyalty that stays there for so long, and we learn it from here, that this woman is going to bring this instead of making such a shvua. That's the idea behind it. He then brings down something really strange, the Meshachachma. He says, it could be that she's really supposed to bring a korban toad over here, and she's brought up something else entirely. It's really strange to say such a thing, because the korban toad is a totally different korban, and it's something a little bit different. It's a really, really interesting Meshachachma, and he brings it down. I, okay, whatever. It's not for right now. It's really out of thanks. And it's an Ola Nechatos, but it's really like a Toda giving thanks for having the childbirth be a healthy childbirth. It's a weird Meshachachma, and the Sefer HaChinuch brings it down as well. There is a Sefer, Yud, Sefer Hasidim. Sefer Hasidim wrote down in his additional Tzavos, in the will, in number eight. I don't know if anyone's seen this before. You should not raise Turim or Bnei Yona inside your house. Do not own pigeons and do not own turtle doves and raise them inside your house. Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that you shouldn't have birds inside your house? You shouldn't have raised birds inside your house, like cockatiels, cockatoos, etc.? It's a big shiloh. My, my kids have wanted a cockatiel for a long, long time. My wife grew up with one in her house, but it's brought down in the Savos of Rabbi Yudah Chassid not to have a tour in Benyona. There's a shiloh in the post game if that applies to all pet birds or it only applies to these Turim Yona. The question is really why. The shiloh to is Afarksana, I don't even know what this is, Afarkisa Dania, which is brought down by the, by, uh, the, in the Sefer Hasidim written by, um, put together by Moser Rav Kook. Uh, Reb Ruven Margolius, he brings down the safer that there's, it's only these two birds. You can have any other bird inside your house aside from these two. So you could have any other bird, like parrots or, you know, any of these other birds, no problem. And the reason why is because they're the korbanos of poor people. So it's like a sign that you're going to become poor. But it's interesting, Reb Shimon Sofer in his chuvas, who's one of the grandsons of the Chassam Sofer, says, you can make a shovach for them. Keep them outside. It just means in your house you can't have anything. But outside you can have them and it's not a problem as long as you keep them out. That you're allowed to do. That you would be allowed to do. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this before, but it is brought down in the Savos to Yudah Chassid not to own these birds in the house. And it could be because of this, right because of this over there. Okay, we have one more thing that we want to go into that's a little bit different. At the Rashi tells us that the Kwanim always brought a korban chatas before they brought a korban ola. There was a chatas brought and then the korban ola. It says this in Zvachim Daf Tzadiyam and Aleph. It says in Psachim Daf Nun Tesimabes. If you have two korbanos to bring a chatas and an ola, bring a chatas and then you can bring an ola. But here, the ola is mentioned first. Look what it says. Tavi keves ben shnaso le ola u ben yono tor le chatas. The Ola first and then the Chatos. In Pasuchas, it says, You bring the Ola before the Chatos. So it sounds like you bring the Chatos before the Ola, the Ola before the Chatos, even though we know the Allah is the opposite way. Why is it like that? Says Rashi, really, the Korban Chatos is brought before the Korban Ola. And everyone agrees, even here, Chatos is brought before. So why is the Ola first? Eino Ela Lemikra'a. Eino Ela Lemikra'a. Now, we don't know what that means. The simple translation is only to read it. Only to read it. That's why we have it first. What in the world does that mean? Only to read it? How, well, what does that mean to read it? 
So the Moshe of Zikanim, another Baltosa says, only read it means when calling out the names of Korbanos. <laughs> to bring the Korbanos, you do a Chatos before an Ola. But says the Moshe of Zikanim, if you want to call out Korbanos, first name the Ola, and then name the Chatos. Everybody got that? Name the Ola first. Say, this is my Ola, and then say, this is my Chatos. Then bring the Chatos, and then bring the Ola. Which makes sense, right? But that's not how we Paskin. The Rambam says that's not true. We call out the chatos and then the ola. Bring the chatos, bring the ola. That's how the Rambam paskins. The Gemara on Paytesimah Beis and Zvachim right there says you call out the name of the chatos and then you call out the name of the ola. So that Moshe of Zikanim is arguing. There's a Tosvos, Rabbeinu Chaim, that brings down that yes, we call out the name of the chatos before the ola. But it seems to argue with the Gemara and certainly this Moshe of Zikanim could go with that Baal Tosvos but it seems to go against everything else. The Marsha goes into this. The Mizrahi says there must be a mistake here because there's no way that somebody would paskin that way against the Gemara. The Gemara seems to be very, very clear. The Sifzeh Chum in the Rio Shlomo seems to say that they do this on purpose to put the Ola first in order to make you think that you would, maybe it's not necessary to call out one and then the other, but either way, it's weird. But I found the greatest pshat, the greatest pshat. In the morning, there are people that do every single one of the Korbanos. You know, in the Korbanos in the morning, obviously we have listed the normal Korbanos that everybody brings every day. For example, we do the Kior, that you wash your hands, etc. The Parsha Sekior. Then we do the Parsha of Truma Sadeshan, getting rid of the garbage, the ashes on the Mizbeach. And then we do the Korban Tamid. The Korban Tamid is right after that. We do the whole Korban Tamid, the Parsha of the Korban Tamid. And then we do the Ketores, which was brought every morning. The Ketores is there. And that's pretty much it. We go through Abaye Ava Masadar, Seder Marach, Alibar Gamarva, Alibar Abashol. We go through Abaye. And it's a really important thing to say, Korbanos. There's more Korbanos to say. If a person's chayiv in a chatos, for whatever reason, he's chayiv in a chatos, you should say the parsha of a chatos that morning. If you know you did something that would be chayiv a chatos in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, for example, chas v'shalom, you forgot it was Shabbos, and on Shabbos day you woke up, and if somebody would have asked you, is it usher to turn on a light on Shabbos? You would say, it's usher to turn on a light on Shabbos. But you forgot it was Shabbos, you thought it was Sunday, and you turned on a light, you turned off a light on Shabbos. That's chayiv a chatos, you're chayiv a chatos. What do you do? You say the Parsha of Achatas. Not on Shabbos. You can't say it on Shabbos. But you say the Parsha of the Achatas itself. And if you learn the Parsha of the Achatas, it's Ke'ilu, you are Makar of the Achatas. If you're Chayv in Ola, let's say one day Chasid, for some reason, you forgot to put on Tefillin. You forgot to put on Tefillin. It happens, you were traveling, you thought, and whatever happened, you forgot to put on Tefillin. You forgot to say Kriyashma. Kriyashma is a mitzvah sedio raisa. If you messed up on a mitzvah saseh and you didn't say Kriyashma, you didn't say tefillin, okay, you got to bring a korban ola. So you got to say the parsha of the ola. So which one comes first when you got to do a parsha's ola or a parsha's chatos? What do you do then? Says the Torah Tamima, Rabbar Epstein, do the ola before the chatos. Even though if you were bringing korbanos, you'd bring the chatos before the ola. But when you're saying it out loud and you're doing the parshios, do the ola before the chatos. You know why? It's obvious. Because if you look at parshios Vayikra, the ola is written before the chatos. The parsha of ola is the beginning of parshios Vayikra. The chatos is toward the end of parshios Vayikra. The ola comes before the chatos. So Lemikra, says Rashi, when it comes to hakrava, bringing korbanos, the chatos is before the ola. When it comes to reading it, when it comes to reading the parshios, the Ola is before the Chatos. So says Rashi, the reason why the Ola is put first is Lemikra'ah, to read it out. And maybe that's why the Shulchan Aruch says, now this is not so far in, Simen Aleph in Hilchos Orachayim, Sif Dalid, 
says, when you read the Parshios, you do the Parshios of the Ola Shlamim Chatas Asham. In that order. Maybe that's why he does it in that order, because that's the order of Parshas Vayikra. That if you're going to read the Parshios, even though I would do a Chatas before an Ola if I'm being Makriv, first do the Ola and then the Chatas. And then he says even better. You know why, says it towards me, you know why that makes a lot of sense aside from the Korban, you know why it's different? Why is it different? If I'm makrib it this way, then I should read it this way. I don't understand why it's different. Why in the world is it different? The answer is, by a Korbanola, what do you do with the animal? You strip off the skin, right? You flay the skin, you cut up the animal, you put it on top of the Mizbeach, and you burn the entire thing. The skin goes to the Kohanim, the rest of the animal, you've got to take out the innards, you put it on the side. The, bur- the animal is entirely burnt on the Mizbeach. Once it finishes burning, kapara is done. You got your kapara, you received your atonement, and you're done. There's nothing else to do. What happens by a chatos? What do you do by a chatos? Well, that's different. Chatos, you also flay the skin, you get rid of the skin, you chop it up, you have it into different pieces, you take some of the innards out, and you put it on the Mizbeach, and the animal itself, most of the meat, is taken and given to the Kohanim. What do the Kohanim do with that meat? They have to eat it. You don't finish the kapara of your korban chatas until the Kohen eats the, the part of the korban. If he doesn't eat it, there is, no, there is no kapara. The kapara is you put the innards and burn it. You take the pieces and you eat it. And when you finish the eating, when the Kohanim finish those, the eating of the chatas, that's the kapara. That means that essentially the ola and the chatas are totally different from one another. The ola, the kapara, is immediate. You say the parsha, you're done. You don't need anything else. The saying of the parsha is like the burning on the mizbeach. As soon as you say the parsha, you burn down the mizbeach. Your kapara is over, you're good. But a chatas, a chatas is not finished until the kohen eats it. How in the world are you going to have the kohen eat it when you're reading the parsha? You can read the parsha and you can burn the korban chatas, but you can't get the kohen to eat it. So it's never a full kapara. Amr Rabbi Yishmael, the Gemara and Shabbos, Daph Yud Gimel. Karisi v'yitesi. One time I read a Pasuk on Shabbos and I turned the lamp. You know, they had like Aladdin lamps back then. So he turned the lamp and the oil like burned the fire a little bit better. So he's chay v'chatos. Chay v'chatos on Shabbos. Karisi v'yitesi. And I separated a chatos shmena for the times of Mashiach. So when Mashiach comes, I'm going to bring a korban chatos. Everybody asks, what do you mean? Just say the parsha of the chatos. The Gemara Menachos Kuf Yud says, just say the parsha and your yotze chatos. You don't have to bring a chatos when Mashiach comes. Just say the, kor- say the parsha and you're done. The answer is, no, it's not enough. You can say the parsha for a chatos, but you're not done until the Kohen eats it. And you can't do that through the parsha, which means you're never done. You need to bring a chatos. Anytime you're chay of a chatos, you can say the parsha you still need to do something different. For that reason, reading the Parsha of the Ola is better than reading the Parsha of the Chatas. The Ola is a full Kapara. The Chatas is not. So if you want to bring it, the Chatas is brought before the Ola. You want to say it, the Ola comes before the Chatas. That is brilliant. That idea behind it. There's a Chassam Sofer here. There's a Shari Aron here that brings another three reasons. There's even a Rav Hirsch over here that's beautiful. Mamish, Svasayim Yushak. A tremendous, tremendous Rav Hirsch that explains its entire idea of what the Chatz and Ola stand for. But I want to say over one other part before we before we're gone over here. There is an amazing Chidah over here as well. But the Tali Oros once said, he said a story over, that when Chaim Brisker was once vacationing in near Radin, the Chafetz Chaim sent one of his Talmidim to be Meshamish Rav Chaim. Chaim Brisker is around. He told his Talmud, take advantage of the situation, go. 
the Talmud went to go to Rechaim Brisker. Rechaim Brisker had spent his vacation there maybe a week or two, whatever it was, right, in one of these mountain, mountainous areas. And then the Talmud came back. So you can imagine, this guy was the most popular guy. As soon as he got back, they said, oh, the, the guy's back, the guy's back. They all ran around and they said, what do you learn from Rechaim Brisker? What do you learn from Rechaim Brisker? So the Talmud said, I'll tell you, one time I was walking with Rechaim Brisker and we were talking about a certain sugya, we were dealing with a certain sugya in Shas, and as we were learning, I said to him, Farvus, why? Why is that so? Rechaim looks at me, and he says the words, I'm going to say it, and I, I, I think I got it in Yiddish over here, Frechnisht Farvus, don't ask why. Nervos, Norvos, I should say, Norvos, what you should ask is what. You don't ask why, you ask what. That's what he told the Bach. So the Bach, the guy that turned to Rechaim Brisker and said, I don't understand. The Gemara asks why all the time. Why does the Torah say, etc. And over here also, that you bring an Ola and Achatas. What did the woman do wrong? We always ask why. We shouldn't ask why. We have to ask what. Of course we ask why. Chaim Brisker said it beautifully, but it takes work. I really, I thought about this for two days. And I think I got it. I think I have the idea behind it. When it comes to the Torah asking a question on the Torah, it can ask why. When it comes to us asking a question on the Torah, we ask what. It's a very important distinction over here. Can you ask why? Yeah. But you've got to know what you're asking why on. I'm asking why as in I don't believe this. I'm asking why as in this can't be. Or you're asking what is the real pshat behind the Torah? What's the lesson to be learned behind it? Why? Sometimes we'll have an answer to why, sometimes we don't. The Torah has an answer to a why. Sometimes we'll have an answer, sometimes we won't have the answer. But what? What? That we can get. What does the Torah mean by that? What does the Torah want from us? What is the Torah trying to tell us? That's a really, really important thing to be able to say, that we can always understand the what behind it. We may not be able to understand the why. So when it comes to this, you're going to ask me, why does this woman have to bring it? Why does the woman bring the chatzel? I'll tell you what the Gemara says. I'll tell you the Gemara says, either it's something that's awesome, like the Das, the Canaan, the Sworn, and the Ramban cleansing her, or it's a Kapara for, like the Ramban, or the Ibn Ezra, the Tzorah Amor, and Rav Moshe. Maybe it's something like that. Or it's the sin of Chava. So we're going to go with the Rabbeinu Bechaya, Rabbi Yonis and Ibshitz. We're going to go with somebody like that, maybe even the Kliyakar, to explain what happened over there. We're going to go through the tour and the Chabat Yonah. I don't understand. Why over here is the tour before the Ben Yonah? Why over there? But the point behind all of this is to get the what. Whenever you hear a Dvar Torah, it's about the what. What are you really supposed to get out of it? That's the lesson that Rechaim taught this Talmud. That's the lesson that this Bakr came back with, telling the Chavetz Chaim's other Talmudim. It's about the what, not about the why. Have a good Shabbos, everybody.